voice of Ahsoka Tannis, that's Star Wars The Clone Wars, and founder of Curve Universe, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Good evening, everybody. It is TalkCast 186, and it's Molly Danger Night tonight. We're supposed to have Jamal Igal on with us tonight, and uh, evidently he's currently being detained by the TSA, and until such time as they let him go. Uh, we're just going to continue on, and, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Deep in Area 51 on the sublevel 664 Cloverleaf, just beyond the Simply Redhead Wonderworks, directly adjacent to the e-book burning virtual fire pit, Next to the lumpy Rutherford kissing booth, I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are many of our usual suspects in the Revere Time Vortex, violent soundboard vixen, chief architect of all that is technical, queen of unstable petroleum byproducts, and her shiny new iMac, it's Griana. Uh, you can choose the name of the music you have in mind. <laughs> <laughs> From the stacks of her personal silence zone in the Dank Dungeon reading room, keeping cool, calm, quiet, because she usually forgets to unmute herself. She's got books and robots and yarn. The woman who spins, Zombrarian. I want Hermione Granger and a rocket ship. From the four colors <laughs> in Manchester, New Hampshire, our lovely ingenue, the woman who's red hot and icy cold, a blinding light in a universe of darkness, a lady who knows the meaning of the word undead, and the word recidivist, it's the dead redhead. I do know that word, and I want Benedict Cumberbatch to give me a cavity search. Tell me about it. In the shower? <laughs> With David Tennant and the baby oil. Awesome. Yeah, Julie! Yeah, Julie! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're hoping that Jamal will join us as soon as TSO finishes with him. In, in lieu of that... TSO, the TSO, TSA. yes. The Terrestrial Society of Ombudsmen. <laughs> oh, Except boy. Ombudsman nice. starts with O? It does. Yes, it actually yes, does. Yes, actually it does. Yay, Dome, you spelled something right. That's like one in a fucking row. <laughs> right <one>. there. <laughs> there we go. So while we're waiting for Jamal to join us, and, and hopefully he will before the hour is up, uh, what's been going on this week? Hmm. Joss Whedon had some uh, interesting words this week on a number of items. The one part that I thought was was kind of interesting was they're talking about uh, attempting another reboot of the the Wonder Woman series, and uh, yeah, well, Whedon in an interview was talking about the development that he spent like a year on 
for the Wonder Woman movie for Warner Brothers that they ultimately just refused to make. Uh, and when asked why they refused, he explained, toy makers will tell you they don't sell enough. Well, that's because they didn't make them properly. If you can't sell a Wonder Woman doll, that's a problem. Yes, seriously. Uh, no that's kidding, a huh? problem. I cannot think of one any aspect of a fandom that wouldn't want a Wonder Woman doll in a Wonder Woman costume. And a Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman huggy pillow. Come on. A Wonder Woman And jar. <laughs> I, wasn't be, I wasn't creeping on. I was not creeping on anyone but myself. Oh. Uh, no, and seriously. Wonder Woman. And the, the Barbie. I think the Barbie sold out that they had the Wonder Woman Barbie. So. Oh what wait, the hell? wait! The TSA has relented. The TSA has relented. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now, fresh from his his fun with the TSA. Jamal Igel. Jamal, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Yay, Jamal! <laughs> For those of you who have been with us since the very beginning, Jamal was on one of our very, very first shows when we were in terrestrial radio way back when. I'll bet you don't even remember that, do you, Jamal? Yes, of course I remember that. That's when I came <laughs> to, uh, to New Hampshire for uh, Granite Comic Con. That's right. And it was you and a couple of other artists walked into this dank little radio station and went, my kids. God, what are we doing here? And we sat and we had a couple of beers and had a wonderful time, actually. You didn't even get oh. serial killed. We, no, no. <laughs> I don't know, black guy in New Hampshire back in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even get alien abducted. <laughs> so anyhow, about six or seven months ago, when we found, when I, I stumbled across your Kickstarter project for Molly Danger, I immediately threw money at it and say, this looks cool. And I know uh, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, believe me. It's, and then uh, we went to Rhode Island Comic Con to see you and talk about it, and because of some Superstorm crap or something, <laughs> <laughs> So now like a hurricane hit the East Coast or something. Right. What the hell? Seriously. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, finally, after five years, back again, Let's talk about this new series, why you're, you've left uh, DC, and what this new series is all about. Talk to us about where Molly Danger came from. Okay, well, the idea for Molly Danger actually remember, originally came out of a car ride. I was driving back from uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con, this is 2001. And uh, me and my buddy Rich were throwing ideas around because we were trying to pitch something for animation. And we were just tossing different ideas around and suddenly this name popped in my head, Molly Danger. And we were trying to figure out, is she an adult? Is she like an older teenager? I was like, no, she has to be a little girl. She has to be incredibly powerful. And it just sort of started from there. So we started putting together the animation pitch, and what ended up happening was we just decided after a while, look, we're comic book guys. Let's just do it as a comic book. So I wrote a script, a 22-page script. I started penciling it, and then I started getting work. And I put it aside for a while, and I kept getting busier and busier and busier. 
then uh, after a while, we hired another artist, Jamal Peppers, and uh, he started working on. He drew a few pages, and then ultimately had to abandon it because we couldn't afford to pay him, and he couldn't afford to work on it for free anymore. So we just, I just sort of put it on the shelf for a very long time. Uh, around 2009-2010, uh, I was approached by a mainstream publisher who was getting into doing graphic novels, and they were asking if I had any ideas for an all-ages you know, superhero character. And at first, I was going to try and come up with something new, but then it was just sort of like you know, big flashing light bulb, you know, Molly. Molly's a character that you need to do. So I reworked the pitch. I put together a pitch. I submitted it to them and never heard back. Oh, no. <laughs> not even no? Wow. Not, not, not awful. No, nothing, nothing. It just sort of evaporated into the ether. And they came uh, to you and they didn't even have the decency to tell you, you know what, no thanks? Well, those the, jerks. Well, it wasn't tired. Even, it wasn't even really so much that is that I had actually pitched it verbally to the editor, the, the, the head editor at another convention, and that's what sort of led to developing the pitch. And then it just sort of evaporated. So after a while, when I didn't hear back from them, I decided to pitch it around to like Tor and Random House. Couldn't get any bites. I never even got a rejection letter oh. from any of them. It just sort of went out there. And I. Right, I agree. <laughs> it's kind of the way it works now, though, isn't it? It doesn't matter. It's still rude. I know. It is still rude. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. I I took it in stride. I was still, you know, you know, neck deep in work over at DC at the time. So I really, it was more of a, the idea was that I was going to write it while I was drawing Supergirl or Zatanna or whatever the hell I was working on at the time. And... You know, I would start drawing it after my contract ended because I, I actually at that point, that was probably around the point where I decided, started to make the decision that I wasn't going to renew my contract with DC. Um, That's kind of gutsy, though, isn't it? I was just going to say that. Not renewing your contract with one of the two majors? In, in, I mean, what precipitates that kind of a decision? Well, you you got to keep in mind that I've been working for DC off and on my entire career. So, you know, you're talking about, as an artist, like 18 years of being primarily, you know, part of one company. And I kind of felt like I was starting to get a little pigeonholed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and especially having been exclusive for seven years, I just started to really, towards the end, I, I wasn't liking you know, the situation, and I wanted to move on, and I wanted to do other things. So I knew that I wasn't going to get the opportunity to write as long as I was working at DC, even though there seems to be a change in policy recently with, with a few of the artists um, working over there. But, yeah, that, that's neither here nor there now. But yeah. it really was ultimately just I, I needed a change. I was really, especially towards... Uh, the end of 2011, I was really starting to feel burnt out. So I just, you know, I just made the decision. But I'm, but I'm always making decisions like that. <laughs> <laughs> we all I, do. I, 
Many yeah. we regret, and then there are some that actually turn out. This is well, true. <laughs> I mean, you said 18 years. It's not like you just made a rash decision. That was something you, you actually planned and thought about. Well, yeah, absolutely. But it, it, at the same time, the only thing that held me at DC was probably the, you know, the health insurance, which I didn't need anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not just that, you know, I've had, you know, the time that I was at DC, you, you can't replicate that. You can't change that. I got to work on a lot of high profile projects. I got to be a part of, you know, Action 900. I got to draw the last two pre-reboot issues of Superman. I mean, you can't, that's something that they'll never be able to take away from me. So, I, you know, sort of the impetus of taking Molly to Kickstarter kind of moved out of that. I, you know, my contract had ended and I was sitting in my studio and had plenty of work to do, but I just had this question pop into my head. What am I going to do next? You did almost everything that you said you were going to do. What are you going to do next? So when I was approached by another writer about doing a project with him and raising the money through Kickstarter, I'd never heard of Kickstarter at that point. So, but I investigated the site and I looked at everything and I said, you know what, I could do this myself. I don't need to team up with someone else. This is exactly the opportunity I need. So that's what really sort of pushed me to, you know, go to Kickstarter with Molly. So there we are now. You've got that page up on Kickstarter. Right. And you've got it all written out. You've, you've got your whole concept in your head. And now for... 58 days, you're sitting there looking at that page every day, aren't you? <laughs> Actually, it was a 30-day campaign. Oh, which, wow. Which was, which was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what made it... Yes, I was refreshing that page like six times a day. <laughs> six, really? Is, is yes. the order of magnitude you want to go with there? <laughs> six, you, you have, 60, 600. He's By only going to admit day, for six. Do you mean minute? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, because I didn't have to check it anymore because I had other people checking it for me and emailing me. <laughs> <laughs> me on Twitter. Dude. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you surprised at how how that went? How that whole thirty days went? I, I was surprised. I was surprised by how much work it required. Um, um, it, it really, running a Kickstarter campaign is an endurance test. It really is because you know I, I was okay with social media. I wasn't like all over the place like I am now post Molly, and I had to learn about Twitter and Tumblr and, and Hootsuite and all this stuff on the fly. So yeah. that. So that was a, a big part of it. The other part of it was that alone, just doing the social media stuff and doing, you know, interviews and everything else and writing interviews and podcasts and, and what have you and trying to find whatever PR angles that I could find. That was six hours of my day every day. And then on top of that, I was still working. I was still <laughs> working on Smallville at that point. Oh. So this is after my, my contract ended. I was still doing work for D.C., 
No, I'm I'm primarily at IDW right now. Now, did did your affiliation with IDW come after the Kickstarter project? No, actually, that came before. What happened was, um, when I made the decision to end my contract, I realized that I didn't know anybody <laughs> anywhere else. Other than <laughs> it's an it's an insular group, isn't it? Well, it, it is. It, it can be. If you're at one company, it's just like any other job. If you're at one company long enough, that becomes the, the culture that you're surrounded by. Those are the people that you know. So I really didn't. I knew people casually, but I didn't know who was doing what at what particular company. So it was actually Chris Roberson who got me the introduction at IDW. Right. No idea what those are. No clue what. <laughs> but Tumblr, for me, for at least knowing the concept of Molly Danger, and I have to admit that while I'm really, really into the concept, I still haven't read the first issue. But Tumblr seems like that would be a really great place for her. It, like it, that would it be is, the audience. It, it is just sort of getting started. You have yeah, to probably. sort of build your audience and if it's not porn it takes time <laughs> this is true of all things yeah pretty that's much true. that's, that's basically true. the model of the internet if it's not porn <laughs> it takes time well that, that's, that's that's true too but the thing is with tumblr like one of the things i've noticed about tumblr is that you know if you just went by your my tumblr feed alone you would think the only musicians in the world were tupac shakur and regina specter <laughs> So, comes free comic book day now. Right. And Molly Danger comes out in every comic book store as part of free comic book day. Right. How was that for you? It, it, it was... It's still a little surreal, actually, to be honest. And that just goes with everything related with Molly. You know, I've been in this business for 23 years, but for some reason I'm more anxious about this because it's my project. And it's not the first creator-owned project that I've done, uh, done either, but it, it means so much to me. And I, there's so much potential for the character. And I did a signing at uh, Challengers Comics and Conversation in Chicago. And I think I signed like 400 copies of the book. Nice. Just in one day. How the fuck cool is that? Seriously. It is, it is pretty damn cool. So, and just like for some kids, you know, it was their first comic book ever. Oh, how does that Nice. I, I actually That's signed a copy for somebody's six-month-old daughter. There's a ah. picture somewhere online handing, you know, a child in a car seat a copy of Molly Danger. Oh, how cool. <laughs> how very, cool is that? It, it is very cool. And, you know, like that last weekend I was in Denver at the uh, Denver Comic Con, and I was part of the, the uh, comic book classroom corral that they had set up there and just signing copies for the kids and talking to people and just spreading the word it's just been it's been it's been something it's been it's, been, it's different from you know any other experience that i've had of, it's a kind of ownership that you've never absolutely. really had with anything else absolutely because suddenly 
I'm, you know, I'm not just Jamal Igle. I am Molly Danger creator Jamal Igle. And that's how I'm getting credited now, and that there's a lot there's there's a lot that goes along with that. That you know, there is that sense of ownership. There is that you know that unbelievable for me just pride in not only you know how far because this isn't you know this is still even after ten years this is still just the first step in what I believe is a very long journey. So. And I'm so proud of the work that, the, that my team is doing on the book and the way everything is coming together. And we are so close to, to being done. I, I have one more page to draw for this book. So what are the plans? Where, what is the long-term plan now? Well, there's, there's still three more books in the initial arc, which I, I think of as the origin of Molly Danger, which is you know sort of funny considering as a character, and at least story-wise, she's been around for 20 years. But <laughs> it, sort of, it sort of wraps up the everything that I want Molly to become going forward. And from there, it, just, it can go anywhere. Jamal, just think of it this way. No matter what, when they make the movie of Molly Danger, it'll still be better <laughs> than 99.9% of the movies that DC has made. <laughs> All right, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Fantasy casting, who would it be? Fantasy casting? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, for me, what, are we talking live action or animated? Live action. Live action. Live, well, that's hard. live action was hard because, you know, she's supposed to be 10 years old. So it would probably have to be whatever, you know, ten, you know actress at that point looks 10, you know, or it's supposed to be around that age. So Emma that's Watson. Emma Watson. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same thing. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, uh, I don't there, know who. Is there a standing sister out there? <laughs> probably, there probably, there's, there's probably like a mystery Culkin somewhere. <laughs> Doesn't Will no, Smith have another daughter somewhere along the way? Uh, I, I guess. Well, no, you know what? I I don't know who Molly would be, but depending on when it would be done, I would definitely want Owen Wilson to play Austin. Because I basically <laughs> oh, wow. based the character on him. Wow, that would be cool. <laughs> and for our listeners, we are going to provide a link for them to be able to download if they did not get a copy of the free comic book day one. To, for them to be able to download the PDF of issue zero of Molly Danger. Very cool. Which I th which I think is is incredibly cool. Thank you. Oh now, man. Jamal, I, I don't want to keep you too long because I, I know you're going to be boarding your aircraft pretty soon, right? Yeah. Um. So how about upcoming appearances? You're going to be at Boston Comic Con, right? Um. When is Boston Comic Con? The very um, first weekend of August. No, I'm not going to be at Boston Comic Con. Aww. I will, I will be at I will be at San Diego Comic Con, and I will be at New York Comic Con. <sighs> well, we will miss you. I, I I apologize, but August is family vacation month, so that's kind of important. And yeah. then there's Granite Con in September. Lord knows. Well, you know they could always invite me. I have, hey, <laughs> hey, double midnight. What the hell? <laughs> 
Chris, uh, yeah, make Chris, that happen. Quincy, Shadonda. <laughs> Shadonda. You can make that happen, boys. Make it happen. We're basically or, handing this to you. Take it. Or, 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 you know, you can get the guys from Ben and Jerry's to do something oh, for you. Oh, come on. You. No, it's Ben and... <laughs> yeah, Ben and who? Ben and Josh. <laughs> I think. You think. It might be. Anyhow, Jamal, thank you so much for joining us. We know you've got to get to your plane. Have a safe trip wherever it is you're going. And don't wait six years to come back to the show. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I really <laughs> right. appreciate you, you having right me. Thank you All so right. much. Safe, All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. So now should we do the poll? I well, feel, see, you got, I feel for like all of our <laughs> listeners who thought that we were being silly when we said that that he was being detained that by he the was TSA, being detained the by the TSA we were silly we were silly yeah we were serious about that yeah that's what we, we were silliest about that in fact that's right super silliest even super silliest oh that's actually a word <laughs> <laughs> thank you for getting these over is it spelled with an o oh, oh sorry boy. yes there is an o yeah there is an o in there somewhere <laughs> All right, so let's move to the uh, let's move to this week's poll. And if you've okay. ever told, you know how dangerously painful that can be. <laughs> this week's poll actually was given to us by one of our listeners, our friend Mike Baird. I just want to put that out there. Thank you, Mike, for the idea because you know sometimes the dead redhead starts to run a little dry. But he he came up with this one, and we were like, yay! So we he said. Who is the worst captain in science fiction? I think my vote won. Well, let's find out. So coming in, I didn't get to get the uh, the poll out to as many people, but for all those wonderful fans who did vote, thank we, you. Thank you. We send kissy kissies. That's right. The coming in at number three. I know I'm going to say this wrong, and I apologize ahead of time, and everybody can make fun of me, but. The Golga Frinchen captain. Did I say it properly? No clue. How about you? What the hell? The Golga Frinchen captain from the restaurant at the end of the universe. Because Still apparently not. he sits in a bathtub for like 30 years or something. Okay. Why does that Pruny make him a bad not. captain? He's pruning. I don't know. Because all he did was. <laughs> that's right. All he did was sit in the bathtub. Oh, I like a good prune. What can I say? <laughs> Not even gonna go there, Kriana. <laughs> Just not gonna go there. <laughs> okay, there's another creepy jar. Thank you. All right, I'll just along. That one. Um, so that was number three. Coming in at number two. Now, everybody should enjoy this one. Coming in at number two is Captain Link Hogthrob from Pigs in, in Space. There we go. And coming in at number one is Zep Brannigan. Yay. Who they based on Link Hogthrob from the <laughs> Yeah. I'm pretty sure they did. And that's did. Futurama, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. Private Lemon, you two are good friends? I thought we could be good friends. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, fake voted and we will have a new poll up this weekend would you like some champagne oh my i would thank you please oh sorry my, my tequila 
<laughs> for Chile. <laughs> yeah, he he's probably one of the better characters on Futurama. So Although, guys, what okay. what what news do we have? Well, well we, we were had talking about Joss Whedon, right? And and Barbarian yes. had a corollary to Joss. Yes. Um. So I feel like it must have been right after Jome's interview. Joss Whedon did another interview in which he talked about superheroine movies and um, apparently he was saying he really hopes that The Hunger Games is kind of a turning point and studios realize that people want female action heroes. Um, Of course they do. How stupid are these these executives? he, He was saying, I think his daughter... Yeah, his daughter watched Avengers and said my favorite characters were Black Widow and Maria Hill. And and he was saying, of course they are. And there should be more superheroine movies. And let's face it, Joss Whedon is the one to do it. Yes. Absolutely. There's no question about that. But also exciting in that interview, there's been a lot of hullabaloo. I don't know if we've talked about it, about Avengers. I don't think we have, no. Um, the basics of it are that Robert Downey Jr. has said, well, I'm not going to do Avengers 2 unless the whole cast, since it's an ensemble cast and it's on, an ensemble movie, the whole cast needs to get paid the same. Oh! Which nice. was an incredibly, yeah. incredibly brilliant move on his part and, yep. and very, very self-sacrificing. Well, I don't know, because he was really just asking the studio to pay his co-stars more. He wasn't offering to get paid less, as far as <laughs> Yeah, but it means he doesn't have to do that. It's true. And I think he would if it came down to it. I think I would like to think that he would say, okay, yes, pay me a little bit less so that we can pay everyone the same. Um, it, though, so he, he's got them by the balls. He does. Because and he is Iron Man. Well, and, and, yeah. and, wait, and, wait. That's There's exactly more. what Joss Whedon said. Because oh, now see, he's got Joss them. Not, yeah, he's got <laughs> them not just by the balls, but also by the short and curlies. Because Joss Whedon, and I quote, said, "He is Iron Man. He is Iron Man in the way that Sean Connery was James Bond. I have no intention of making Avengers two without him. Nor do I think I will be called upon to do that." So they're right. So, Amen. and Josh Whedon, yeah, Josh Whedon does it. run his mouth a lot. Sorry, you have to sing it. Sorry. I don't sing it as well as you do. It's okay. There's got to be more feeling behind it than I can put there. <laughs> um, but hey. yeah. So basically, at this point, both Josh Whedon and Robert Downey Jr. have said, "Okay, so everybody gets paid the same, right?" Except Joss Whedon, who probably gets more, but... Well, he's not an actor. We won't dwell on that. No, not at all. So, Kriana, there were... You wanted to talk about uh, an article about ten shocking deaths? Well, keeping on the Joss Whedon track, I I saw that that one picture of Buffy leaning over Joyce's dead body, and I went, Uh. this is an article I have to read. And she and the ten gut. shocking deaths that kept you on the couch for weeks, and and 
That was the first time I cried at Buffy, which that damn show made me cry more than any other damn show. I was going to say it was, you know. That the was the first time. Usually, usually I hate this girl who, who writes for io9, Meredith Warner. <laughs> <laughs> so we can put her Not on the list of people of who yeah, never she's on the list. I'm about to turn it around, so hold on. But, but this time, she hit the ball out of the park because it was just so funny. Because because she at the at the end of each paragraph where she explained her reasoning and what happened, she put amount of time spent on couch and said for Joyce, which is number one, we'll let you know when the pain stops. Still Aww. there. Still there. Number two, Yanto. Uh-huh. Oh yes. Oh my heart. He only got two hours. He got about six hours for me, but Poor Yanto. Uh and, and number three was Fred. See, yes! I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have gone there that early. Fred, yes. But I would have put... Well, well the, these are from worst to best, I think. I, I mean, like, from most to least favorite. Yeah, but I, there was another one in the Buffyverse that was really when, when Tara died. She's not even on here. I know what? it! I know it! How the hell could you do that? That was... A, that, and see, that was... That had two well, well, things for me because not, not only as major characters for us. Yeah, but not only did she have like one of the most tragic deaths ever in the history of anything, there was that one moment there where I actually kind of liked Dawn as a character what? when she's jumping around at the doorway going, I'm gonna go downstairs and I'm gonna make a lot of noise and I'm not gonna know anything about what's going on up here. And then she like darts off and for just that one second you like Dawn and then you hate her again. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I hate Dawn. No, no one likes Dawn for me. No, I kind of always liked her, but that was me. You were just waiting for You're her. You're weird. Creepy jar. Creepy jar. No, not for me. For you, for anyway, saying that. All right, the Let's next continue. One was some girl yes. that Allison Black did not watch. Um, um, Wait, who? Oh, which Anastasia? one? Anastasia. Anastasia. I don't, you know, I not only do I not recognize the name, I don't even recognize the. Unless that's what's his name's wife. No, I, it wasn't. I, then I'm not even, I don't know who they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that was her dumb, wasn't it? Eh, moving on. We don't, don't even know who this chick is. Anyway, um, Ned Sullivan and Scrub, that, that was sad. That was sad. I yeah. didn't watch that one. 20, 20 minutes on the couch is just about right. <laughs> I, I, that's a little that's a little Excuse generous, me, no. Actually. I think that's pretty I generous. Was, I was happy when Tasha yeah, Yard died. I really Not me. Not, I liked yeah. her. To be eaten by the oil beast like that was just not right. Just next not right. Oh, no. The next one was Curtis yeah, from Misfits. Nothing in comparison with Dale dead. Oh, wait a minute. Curtis from Misfits was one of the hallmarks of a British series in which yes. they'll invest you in a character, make the character real, make the character a, a, a part of, of every part of the show, and then kill and the son of a bitch. Off. That's right. And, and, and kill, kill him off in episode four of season, of series four. Just, just you know, you're, you're just getting into the fourth season and bang, done. That's 
that's Michael Moorcock writing. If anybody is a fan of Michael Moorcock, yeah. they know exactly what I'm talking about. But Joss does the same thing. He did yes, the same Joss thing. does the, the God. Yes. I mean, in Serenity. Oh, anyway, God, he still uh, next one was I, Dale yeah. from Walking Dead. Nope, nope. Good one. Next no, one no one's ever from, yeah. Uh, Next one was from Charmed. Game of Thrones with Game of Thrones, yes. Which we won't do because everyone's complaining about spoilers right, for Game of Thrones. Gonna go ahead and, and spoil some more. Ready? The books. Go for it. Well, no, no. Let's clarify. The first, the first three <laughs> books. Let's suck you in. You're going to continue because now you have forward momentum onto the second book. You're like, okay, this was, this was all right. And then the third book is good. And, and then the second book, you're like, and the well, you know, that wasn't as good, but let's, let's keep going. What the hell? I'm invested now. And then after the third book, you start to hate yourself. <laughs> no, the third book, you're like, okay, well, now I want to know what happens. No, the third book is when I started. No, like, the, third... the fourth book is oh, when okay. I wanted to stab my eyes out. And, and the fifth book, I don't even know why I read that, actually. The, the fourth is this book... another one of those reasons why George R.R.R.R. Martin well, won't be on well, the show? No, this, well, yes and no. Um, so The fourth book was really where I started saying, wow, this guy really hates women. Okay. Wait a minute, what did you say? I said, the fourth book was where it really, like, I had known before, but it really crystallized for me how much George R. R. Martin hates women. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Like, the level of misogyny just rampant in that book. Oh. I feel like he went through a bad breakup right before he wrote it. Ah, yeah, one like, of those... Um, Yep. <laughs> what? <laughs> we, we have oh, we have a hey. theory about Taco Bell. Write that down and we should oh. it. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to put that in the show notes. <clears throat> Any, anyway, um, anyway. So there's yes. a lot of angst and grief all over the internet because um, Game of Thrones finally got to what they affectionately refer to as the Red Wedding. Which has been referred to as that since the book came out. Right. And um, there, there are two uh, schools of thought on the issue. Number one, OMG, what the fuck? How could you do that? And number two, you didn't read the book? Yeah. No, no, no. I feel no, no. like everybody... That shouldn't even be a question. It should be, you didn't read the books, jackass. I Surprise! Feel like, I feel like, though, everybody who's whining and crying about spoilers from Game of Thrones. No. You don't get to whine and cry about that. Uh, read the not? book. That was like when oh. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring came out and Ian McKellen was doing an interview and he goes, spoiler, Gandalf's not dead. And the, inter and the interviewer <laughs> goes, can it be a spoiler if the book's been out that long? And Ian McKellen was like, you'd be surprised. <laughs> Or not. Well, and here's not. Yeah, based on what's been going on for the past couple of days, evidently anyway, not. There, there's well, an article are on about... IO9 that says, to everyone sad and mad about Game of Thrones, it gets better. That is a lie. It gets worse. 
going to say that was that was one of the most misleading headlines I've ever it, read. It does not get better. It, in fact, gets much more disrespectful and worse. Because George R. R. Martin doesn't kill off characters to further the plot or to make the you know, salient point or for any intelligent reason. George R. R. Martin doesn't do anything for an intelligent reason. He does it because fuck you, that's why. <laughs> At least in your no, opinion. Much, no. That's how he does it. He, he's pretty much said that if he gets enough fan mail asking him not to kill a character, he'll kill that character just because he hates people. Okay. He didn't say it in those words, but that was how I translated his rebel so, rebel. Mr. Martin, if you would like to come on the show and refute that. Uh, we would probably uh, not do that. No. Probably not going to. We should, if he wanted to come on just to give his point of view, we would allow him to do that. that no, we would no, agree we with. But, but only, only if we could have Norman Spinrad on with him. That's right. There you we go. Let's make it. No, Norman Spinrad, you got to be. Although I, I would, I miss That's Norman, and Norman, if you're listening tonight, I heart you. Oh man, and we love you. Someday we will meet and talk about how awful that Star Trek. <laughs> so, in terms of other awful news this week, Matt Smith is leaving. Uh, I don't know that yes. that's awful news because it's 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 no. the writing's it's been on the wall. He's been on for a while. He's starting to feel antsy. He's been on his like, tent. Like, yeah. you know, you know, he needs he wants to leave before he becomes the next Colin Baker. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, he's he's made his mark as a very flamboyant, uh, ebullient doctor, and you know it's it's going to be hard for whoever comes in to take his place. Well, we said that already. We I really, really Tenet. hope that they get somebody older. I don't think they will. So does my mother. You know, I don't like this, for... the doctor gets <laughs> younger and younger thing anymore. For a little while, I was okay with it. And Matt Smith did a wonderful job, and I don't think his age was a problem. But I think if they continue on this route, going to I don't know. Very soon. I was gonna yeah, say, he's, he's going to be like four years old, and Song is going to be hitting on him. And as we've learned, River Song is my mom's age, and that's creepy. Yeah. Creepy and, and, and song. But when is I said, she though? <clears throat> Wait, when I said that my mom wanted it to be different, I was actually being serious because a lot of the folks who are older fans of Doctor Who are feeling that way. I, 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 you know, as long as he doesn't get to the point where he could be in a boy band, I don't care. But which Matt Smith is right on that edge of that. But um, oh, yeah. some of the older fans are kind of like they can't even relate to what's going on anymore because well, you the know character what, though, is getting... That, that shouldn't really be a consideration, right? I mean, they're not trying to sell stuff to mom. Maybe they are. Oh, you'd be surprised what my mother would buy. But anyway! <laughs> okay. Well, okay, look, Matt Smith is 30. He doesn't look it, though. No, Matt Smith is 30 going on 12. <laughs> 30 going really? on 15. 
But, you know, I, I'm sorry, but there have been so many strong women as companions. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for a woman doctor. Yeah, but I don't want her to be the next one. I have feelings about that. They're very Why strong. Is that? I feel like at this point, so many people are clamoring for it right now that, I don't know, it would feel fanservice-y, almost. Um, and also, I love Stephen Moffat. I really, really do. Mm -hmm. He has trouble writing women sometimes. Oh, that's true. That's like, true. I, like, River Song is one of my favorite characters ever in the history of anything, she still had real holes in her character sometimes. Still does, yeah. 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 No, that's like, true. there were some real problems. And Alex Kingston did a, a great job of acting around them. Mm -hmm. And at points acting through them. <laughs> and fixed a lot of it. But it, it's not, you know, someone like Alex Kingston who can do that. I would worry about the writing and I don't ever want to worry about the writing on Doctor Who. I know who I want to be the female Doctor Who, but I don't know if it would ever happen. I think that Joanna Lumley should be the female Doctor Who. I don't know that that would even be possible, but yeah. For our fans who don't know who that is, that's, that's, Pat that's Patsy from Absolutely Fabulous. Mm -hmm. The blonde. She actually played the doctor in one of the the uh, Christmas specials that they would do to raise money, and she played the doctor for like ten minutes, and she was fabulous. That actually, uh, I can see that happening. Yeah. Yep, I like it. <laughs> it's not going to be Amy Pond. She's already his mother-in-law. She <laughs> She's his mother-in-law, I said. You should listen when I talk. That's Yeah. I've noticed that. She gets to play a, a cool new villain in, villain in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, Gillian? Never mind. Gillian. No, go. So, so what is what 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 does she play on Gillian's it? Island? A strapping young redheaded lass. <laughs> I bet she will. In a sailor's hat. Gillian's Island. Come on, that would look that would be great. Wow. And the first star is Nathan Fillion. Are we all high right now? <laughs> We might as well be at this point. Any other Doctor Who news we want to deal with? That'll be a no. No, but speaking of being old, just really quickly. Um, so I'm old, apparently. What? <laughs> and a couple of my younger co-workers have been insisting that I watch a Barry Potter musical for a really long time. Oh. Good lord. <laughs> and I always put it off, and I was like, no, that sounds stupid. Don't put it off if you have been. If you're a Harry Potter fan, it is possibly one of the cleverest parodies I have ever seen. Hmm. And it's actually really well done. The video quality on the first one is kind of crap, but it's worth it. 
to sit through it. It's hysterical. Seriously, is it really worth it? It is so worth it. It's okay. worth it enough that I decided to mention it on the show, and I think they made it <laughs> right after the seventh book came out. So that was years ago. Ah. Anyway, the end. Love Zombrarian. Thank you, Zombrarian. <laughs> so, can I do a shout out to all the Cumber bitches? I suppose. Kriana, you're with Hell me on that. Yes. Okay, Sorry, okay. I, I was relating they... a story to Can. To yeah, Can? In the chat room. Oh, Cam. Oh. I thought you said Can. I'm like, what? Yeah, so, so did I. In, that was in, very in France scary. or what? <laughs> <laughs> so they have placed they've released the clues of what they believe to be the next three Sherlock Holmes stories that will be coming out for the BBC Sherlock series which we're all enamored of especially Mr. Cumberbatch and we should have Laura back on just to say it um, and they're looking it's looking if they use the correct logic puzzles like it's going to be the Adventure of the Sussex Vampire. Um, the ooh, the Noble Bachelor, and his the last. It's either his last. <laughs> oh, oh! I see what you did there. <laughs> and either his last bow or his last bow. I'm not sure which use of the word bow is, but one of the two. Like bow tie, or, yes, or I mean, like, like, hopefully, maybe, it's a play on words. Maybe he's talking about the young succubus from Lost Girl. That was a horrible segue. Crickets, crickets. <laughs> hey, I would. <laughs> it worked hard to make that one. Really all right, all right. I'm making a list of sound effects that I need. Crickets, crickets. In Dome's defense, it's hard to rhyme succubus. <laughs> Obviously, you would use... Rosa Parks joke succubus. going to the back of the Pugnacious. succubus. Anyway. <laughs> Orange. A anyhow, speaking of succubus and, and Bo, uh, two things. Uh, Lost Girl Season 4 has begun production. Um, yes, it's a guilty pleasure. Yes, just tons of beautiful women. For the women, there's there's guys with their shirts off through the half the show, uh, but it, it's it's still well written and it's still a lot of fun. It's a guilty pressure, pleasure, so pleasure. screw off. That's right. It's a, it's a guilty pressure. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, and now we're racist. This is fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And for those of you pissed off at the way. Uh, the way George R.R.R. R. R. Martin ended off this, this season of Game of Thrones, uh, True Blood starts next week. So you've actually got something fun to watch. Fuck yeah, oh, la, la. And, and start last week, actually, this past Sunday, we saw the return of the Venture Brothers, which, if you're a Venture Brothers fan, you know how exciting it was. And it was good! It, unlike, the last season was kind of hit and miss. I have to admit that. And I am a huge Venture Brothers fan. I, like, want to have Doc Hammer's baby and all that, but... Oh, God. But the the first episode of the new Venture Brothers season was so amazingly good, I it almost made me cry. I was so happy. 
So go find it somewhere and watch it because the whole season is is going now. So don't miss it. Yeah, but you're you're basing this this season being good on the very first episode, and we all know how dangerous that can be. <laughs> but last year's first ep- last season, I should say, not last year because I think it's been a year and a half since we had a, a, a venture, new Venture Brothers. But the first episode was okay. It was okay. And then, like I said, it went up and down. But this season, I mean, the first episode was just amazing. We had everybody in it. They tied up a bunch of loose ends. You know, we have 21 is now, and if you watch the series, you know who I mean. 21 is now working for the Ventures instead of the Monarch. And we had the Monarch and Mrs. Um, Dr. Girlfriend, the Monarch. They were getting it on in the Monarch Mobile. And, oh, it was just all exciting. It was wonderful. (laughs) There were well, mentions of 80s bands. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of other people who will never be on the show besides George R.R. R. Martin. R.R. Martin. As much as J.J. Abrams is spread so thin, he, he's much like that skin lady in Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> I get that. I get thank you. That. Um, it's... In an interesting twist of history, J.J. Abrams has bought Rod Serling's last finished screenplay. Rod Serling, for those of you who are young or dumb, <laughs> uh, was, wrote, was the head writer and and kind of chief voice for Night Gallery. Uh, oh, Twilight what was Zone. the other one? Oh, yes, Twilight Zone. Yeah, like nobody should know what the hell that was. One of the most popular series of all time recently named. It was. Twilight Zone was uh, the Writers Guild of America had a list of the 101 best written TV series. The Twilight Zone was number three. Mm -hmm. And Bad Robot Productions now owns uh, a script that Rod Serling wrote called The Stops Along the Way. It was the last screenplay before he died at the age of 50. Mm. So he died at a very young age. Of lung cancer because he was always smoking. Of lung cancer because he was a smoker. (laughs) Like a chimney, that man. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he he wrote things like Requiem for a Heavyweight for Playhouse 90. Uh, He wrote The Comedian for uh, uh, Jackie Gleason and co-wrote the uh, screenplay for Planet of the Apes. Mm. Aside from all the writing that he did for Night Gallery and Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, Zone yeah. So, um, Serling was well known for, for mixing uh, incredible stories with social commentary and doing a terrific job with it. So, we're, we're not being told what stops along the way is or even what it's about. Uh, but all we know is that J.J. Abrams has it now and uh, hopefully dun, they'll dun, do dun. right by it. I wonder why Carol Serling decided to sell it to him. I have no idea. It's it, really interesting. Because she, she's been very, very... Um, guarded with all his stuff. Careful with the, the Serling estate. Absolutely. Well, I, I knew so. In fact, a, a writer that I had um, 
when I was way back in my undergrad, I had an instructor who was his, one of his good friends was an editor for Twilight Zone magazine. And he would talk about, you know, people were constantly trying to put Twilight Zone logos on all kinds of stuff. And she was very, very, no, I don't, I don't want that. That was not something that we were trying to do. We're not mass market uh, merchandising Twilight Zone. So it's interesting that she went with, of all people, J.J. Abrams. And they're evidently talking about doing it as a uh, limited series. So yeah. instead of a single one-shot, two-hour, it may be a television deal uh, for a uh, small under-the-dome kind of treatment to it. Let's hope it does better than what they're doing with uh, World War Z. Did you see the ad for it? Oh, it has nothing I'm... to do with the movie. I mean, well, like the book. Here's nothing, my problem. Nothing. Here's my problem. They've been saying that since the beginning of the movie. Since yeah. they started shooting, since they started working on the script for World War Z, they've been saying, oh, all we took from it is the idea of a reporter and the global scope. That's all we really took from the book. And my problem with that is you've got this amazing, phenomenal book yep. written by Max Brooks who writes for TV and movies on a regular basis. Yep, and is Mel Brooks' son. And is Mel Brooks' son, but that doesn't really have... I mean, can you imagine Mel Brooks in a zombie movie? That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome and awful all at once. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you've got this book, and it's it would be such a wonder... I feel like the book would be such a wonderful movie. They could have just used the book, just used it as a template. Yeah, but no. But but no. no. And it's, it's just making... I feel it makes me angry and feel awful because now I know that I will never see a quality World War Z film. Mm -hmm. And I wish I really loved to. Because let me tell you, World War Z, it's one of those things where it like impacts you forever Mm. because there's one teeny tiny, it's like three words in one of these little vignettes. About, I think I might have mentioned it before. There's no, a, you haven't. Go ahead. I haven't. Okay. No. I don't so, think so. The one vignette is about a guy. The in there in the World War Z science, um, zombie. There for some reason, zombies don't deteriorate underwater, and they act. And the the person that the reporter is, who you never really get to know in the book at all. Pers- right. Yeah. The right. person who the reporter is interviewing says. Yeah, they should be at depth, they should get jellified, and they should deteriorate faster, but they don't, and we don't know why, and they're trying to figure it out. And anyway, this guy works um, in an exosuit underwater, clearing zombies, and mentions trying to clear Boston Harbor. And there's like three words he says, he's listing all the harbors that he helped clear, he's like New York, and San Francisco, and Boston, fucking Boston. (laughs) <laughs> and now every time I have to go over um, the Tobin Bridge, which for those of you who are not <laughs> local, it goes over Boston Harbor and you get this right. wonderful, actually, three kind of 360 view of most of um, the inner harbor of Boston. Mm-hmm. 
And, and that's all you can think of. And all I can think of <laughs> is how absolutely impossible it would be to clear zombies out of that area. Because there's all these little inlets, and there's the Charles, and oh god, it would and be it's awful. Filthy. <laughs> it's filthy. And the whole book is like that. Yeah. And there are yes. these little connections in it, and I just feel like it it was this, a complete waste of a wonderful idea. The section of the yes. story that's set in Japan mm-hmm. is oh. just so devastating. Yes. But with the blind man yes, and the so little boy. Yes. The, yeah. Oh. I mean, Max Brooks wrote a great, great story. Yes, he this did. This is one that... Uh, even if I weren't a librarian and even if I weren't, I feel like even if I weren't a book lover, I would say the book is so see, read the book. Yes. Spend the money you would have spent on concessions on a copy of the book and spend the time you would have spent at that movie reading it. And I guarantee number one, that you will spend more time and finish it. And number two, that you will have a, far more enjoyable experience. Agreed. One last book that I just want to mention before we wrap up. Uh, Womanthology has come out with their third volume, Womanthology Space. Each volume that they've come up with since the beginning has been a step up. Uh, There will be people from Womanthology at Boston Comic Con and I believe at Granite State Con. And check them out. The book is absolutely brilliant. And amazing and pretty and, and prettier than all hell. It <laughs> really is. So check it out if you get a chance. Kriana. Kriana. Oh, this show's coming on in the next couple oh, of weeks. Show's canceled. Oh no! What? what? That's so sad. But we'll be back the week we're after. We're we're acting. Michael Doherty, I've heard Me of too. him before. I, I hear he's a fun guy. He's an really? up-and-comer. Would he, would, he be a, would he be a mushroom? Mushroom? Because he's a fun guy? Oh. oh, oh, oh. And what do we have after Mike? I don't know. Oh. We'll have to ask somebody then. Dead Redhead. Okay. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Granicon, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by The Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold the Folk, at RobWattsOnline.com. Doom? I want to thank our guest tonight, Jamal Ligo, for joining us. Uh, and I want to thank the TSA for allowing him to join <laughs> Jamal, nice. we'll be looking forward to you. And when all of you can download the zero copy of Molly Danger on our website. I want to thank our cast tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and our Grammar Girl Zombrarian. Thank you, ladies. Cumber bitches with cavity searches unite. Woohoo! <laughs> Four Color Vault of Comics. Thank you, Dead Redhead. As always, darling. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. <laughs>